Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. And if you're not already, please become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. As always, we got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing, man? Yo, what's up? Why is everything going bad every week? Uh, well, we're in a <laughs> pandemic. Uh, Fair. Listen, listen. If, if you haven't heard the news as yet, North Texas and Houston is canceled, which means that Houston has now had five football games this year alone canceled, mm-hmm. which is just the most outrageous thing that's ever happened, honestly. Right. Um, so I guess, I guess my question is, like, did we not see this, like, position-based contact tracing thing happening? Like, I just felt yeah. like going into the year, that was always my thought is like, well, if we practice, isn't it like everybody in the same place no it, I'm like, how, how, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i was always confused and i know that they've done some things to try to mitigate that like they're requiring masks when you're not actively in a play and stuff like that but mm-hmm. honestly uh i'm a little surprised that not every player is in contact tracing after somebody who like plays test positive sure sure i mean like obviously the the argument is like oh you know the position guys are in the in their film rooms and like you know in more confined spaces for more extended periods of time and then obviously even when they're outdoors practicing they are you know obviously offensive linemen are really close together when they're going through their drills and stuff but yeah like you would think like the whole eventually when they got to run 11 on 11 like the whole offense is together you know the quarterback's right there um the defensive line you know goes in contact with them but yeah, it's really weird to see like this. Uh, you kind of saw it a, a little bit last week with, uh, or the past two weeks with Brady McBride, where it was like, "Well, why is he in? He doesn't have COVID. Why does? Why is he in protocol?" It's like, well, that's how this goes, right? This if you're in contact with somebody who tests positive or in contact with somebody who has symptoms, like you're, you are also by proxy and by the utmost caution, like you're going to be quarantined too, and. I think when that was like kind of rolled out there, everyone was like, yeah, sure. It makes sense. Just cause they knew that just cause they knew that was like part of the deal of like getting to play football again was like this, this everybody knows th- they've heard the phrase contact tracing, but I don't think they actually knew the nuances and like the detail that actually goes into it. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be very clear about this. This sucks, right? Right, like, right, right. This, this objectively sucks. I'm not trying to say that this doesn't suck. Right. I would have rather watched Baylor play Houston. Right. I would have rather Houston played a football game at this point. But, like, yeah, this is this is what we agreed to, I guess, heading into the season. So I guess I'm just – I guess to some extent I'm a little surprised that the backlash has been against contact tracing mm-hmm. and not against, like – the situation we're in like well, I mean, I get, again, I get, I, go ahead. no i mean I, I just ultimately i do understand like i am very angry that we are in a pandemic and right. that the pandemic is shutting down football right but like my anger sort of is directed at covid right more than like well why are we caring you know right. well, I, th- I think one of the other things is you know people talk about as far as like the national news media, it, a lot of the focus, even during the the, the initial start and kind of the bulk, uh, a lot of it was on the quarantining of positive cases, right? And not as much attention, 
or I guess attention's the wrong word, but like spotlight has been placed on the contract, the contacting system, right? Because yeah. mostly because a lot of these states have uh, uh, independent contract contact testing, uh, contact testing or tracing, um, as opposed to like federal or state run contact tracing, and right. so like you don't you don't see a lot of data coming out about okay, well, this person tests positive and therefore 13 people are also in quarantine out of contact tracing. You know, the process is a little bit more murkier because they're going through these third-party independent uh, uh, labs and, and, and departments. And so there isn't much, you know, hard data and isn't a lot of clarity as to what contact tracing exactly is. And, and, uh, and it varies from state to state, too. Yeah, and, and I do think that it is perfectly reasonable to say that you know we kind of wish that there were some universal uh standards that there were some universal protocols um you know and one thing that i'll say is uh so a a friend of ours george stoya who uh, covers arkansas state and some Mm -hmm. other arkansas schools he did a fantastic explainer kind of of how that works um Mm -hmm. i I retweeted a while back I'll, i'll maybe repost it um and yeah i mean it's it's a very I don't even know the right word. It, it's a very strict system, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, that's how it should be, right? right. You know, and, I guess, like, and I guess, like, like for, for at the barest, of, I'll let you finish, but kind of in the barest of senses, like, the idea of contact tracing, I guess we should probably explain a little bit. Um, it's the yeah. idea that if you, if someone tests positive and then. Uh, but then, like they all, they go to the doctor and they say, "Hey, by the way, I was also at this restaurant. I went to, uh, I was at my job at this location. Contact tracing is going to that restaurant, saying, okay, who else was here? Who served him? Who worked here? Who was between these hours? Right? Who interacted with this individual? And then the job. Then you go into the job and say, hey, who works here? And then tracing those people potentially for spreading cases." Yes. And the other thing, too, is that when it comes to these rules specifically, when it comes to actually taking action, mm-hmm. is um, is that this is required to be extended exposure, right? Like, yes. this isn't just, like, I walked by them in the hallway. Right, right. right. This is, like, I be... sat down and this was our server, right? Like, getting right. the server, getting the, the person they were at lunch with, right. if they were sitting down with somebody. Right. And so, like, for example, on a football field it would potentially be people who you're in position meetings with. It could be like if, I mean, I think that I I have no sort of inside knowledge of this, but from what it sounds like, it sounds like a lot of the issues have been offensive linemen. And a big part of that is that, you know, offensive linemen are constantly right by each other, right? It's the the biggest position group on, it's one of the biggest position groups on the team. Right. And so what ends up happening too is, you know, because like, for example, if you're, if you're a receiver, right? Like, Mm you're kind of just like one-on-one more of the time than, you know, if you're an offensive lineman, it's always five of you traveling together, right? And so, um, and then obviously, you know, sort of standing to the side and going through drills and stuff. And so, again, I have no, this is not me reporting that that's what's happening, but this is just something that... uh, You're seeing that be more the case with like, you know, teams not being able to fill out numbers because, you know, most of their linemen are in tracing. Like That's the typical position group associated with this. Yeah, but uh, you know, to to move it to football for a second, I mean, mm-hmm. five canceled games for Houston. I mean, that's rough. I, and I I forgot who brought it up. I think it was Brian Peroni from two four seven. He's like, they went through spring camp. Like they they out of every team, yeah. they're like one of the ones that are like, uh, ironically, the most prepared to be going through a season, and they have not played yet. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it objectively sucks. Like, I, I mean, I would be astonishingly frustrated if I was a Houston fan, if I was a Houston player, if I was a Houston coach. Um, you know, and and yeah, I do think that they have every right to be frustrated and, and angry, you know, mm-hmm. but obviously my, my thing comes down to I want you to be angry at the situation, <laughs> you know, not at, uh, you know, not at North Texas for, for following the protocols, for example, not at right. contact tracing, you know, and... and that's where I feel like we're getting a little muddied, right? Is right. that I feel like we're trying to blame individual actors for this giant, unprecedented situation that we're in. Sure. Yeah. This. I mean, this is the this is the the, the guidelines we set, and this is what everybody agreed to. And you know, I understand. I mean, I want to play football too, but like, you know, we all agreed. Like, hey, this is how serious we should take this if we wanted to get this done, and everybody agreed to that. And you know, yeah. this this system is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make it feel any better. Again, I nope. want to acknowledge that and, and absolutely say that, right? Like, yeah. our jobs are based around football. And I mean, I know on the high school side, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, Ish obviously does a lot of work on the high school side. We're seeing all sorts of cancellations and the big schools haven't even started yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, again, this is the system that we were adhering to. And and again, the, the, like you said, the system is not the problem. The system, we're this is doing it the smart way. And it doesn't make it hurt any less. Yes, yes. Well, we got a great guest on this week. Uh, we've got Adrian Broadus, who covers the 2-1 and one UTEP Miners. Winning uh, record. <laughs> winning record. I think that, oh gosh, well, Greg, Greg posted it in, in our Slack um, that this was like the first non-1-0 winning record since like, <laughs> was it 2012? It was, oh, it was 2014. Like 2014, maybe. It's been a while. Yeah, 2014. First time UTEP oh. has been above 500, not including 1-0 <laughs> since 2014. So so listen, I understand. People are going to jump into my mentions and say, I mean, it was two FCS teams. They haven't beaten those FCS teams consistently. Still counts. <laughs> Still counts. So uh, we have a great conversation with Adrian. We talk a, a lot about uh, what UTEP's doing differently this year because it's a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think anybody who's watched uh, the last two years' teams versus this year's team, that offense is completely different yeah. completely different so uh we talked a lot about that talked a lot a little about uh aaron jones obviously el paso's finest so uh stick around we'll be right back with you after the break we're joined now by a very special guest we've got adrian Broadus, an on-air host over at 600 espn adrian how you doing man Oh, it's great to talk to you, Shahan. It's been a long time, man. I, I've been uh, I've been real well. It's, it's doing as good as we can right now, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, l- listen, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, everybody who listens to the Republic of Football knows that I'm, you know, a closet, not even a closet UTEP stand. I'm an open UTEP stand. Uh, not a lot of good reasons to talk about the minors, though, uh, the last couple of months. But for the first time uh, in four years, UTEP has won more than one game in a season. Both were against FCS opponents, but who cares? You know, it's, it's still two wins. So, um, you know, to get things started off, I mean, what's kind of the atmosphere there right now? I mean, are, are people excited? Are, are people kind of seeing progress? Great, great question. I think the fan base is torn. And I, I think we always talk about a, a UTEP fan base being torn. And half of the fan base is very positive. They see it glass half full. They really enjoy the fact that they've been able to see young talent like Gavin Hardison, a redshirt sophomore quarterback who's dazzled in the first three games. They've gotten to see their local product in Dion Hankins, who rushed uh, for over 100 yards in his opening game with the Miners. And he's only a redshirt freshman. And of course, they love Jake of cowing the sophomore wideout who's uh, second in the country right now in receiving yards granted 
UTEP's played three games while other colleges across the country have played just one or two probably. But uh, you look at this, this positivity that's come, then there's on the other side, Shahan, there's a lot of negative fans who say, it's Abilene Christian, it's Stephen F. Austin, and they were down in both games. I understand that too. I, I see where fans are going. They think that UTEP should be dominating these FCS opponents. They look at that Texas game and think that not only uh, was UTEP not competitive in that game, but they got blown out and didn't even stand a chance and put up a good fight. So I think it's torn right now. There's a lot of positivity with the young developing players, uh, but then on the flip side, there's a lot of negativity when it comes to how good is this team actually when they barely squeeze past some FCS opponents? Well, I'm curious. Uh, you know, Stephen Fawson, obviously, two weeks later, they go to UTSA. They kind of give them a, a pretty good scare. You know, it's, it's a competitive game throughout. Does that at least kind of help assuage some of the, the fears that, you know, Stephen F. Austin and, and honestly, Abilene Christian, too. I mean, you know, we cover football top to bottom over here at Dave Campbell's. You know, these are good teams, too, that, that they're teams that have quite a bit of FBS talent as well. Yes, that definitely is. And I and that's what we've been preaching, too. I mean, you look at Abilene Christian, their quarterback, and Iowa transfer and Peyton Mansell. You look at uh, Stephen F. Austin. They've got all-conference players across their roster and really some great FBS transfers. So, you know, we're talking on air uh, on, on 600 ESPN about how these two opponents are pretty quality FCS opponents. And I even go back two years ago when Northern Arizona came here to El Paso and beat the Miners in 2018 for Dana Dimmel's opening game. So that's kind of one of those indicators that shows you that, hey, even if they're FCS opponents, you can't take them lightly, especially if you're the Miners who have not won games. So yes, a win's a win. And it, obviously it, it does so much for this team in terms of confidence because they need to learn what it takes to win. And that's a big thing in, a, in rebuilding a program and trying to uh, make this into a, a bowl contender or a Conference USA championship contender in the future. Well, I think one thing that's been really interesting uh, watching these first couple of games is obviously the last two years, primarily Kyle Loxley under center, uh, very much a, a running quarterback, very much the, the sort of Daniel Sam uh, in the Kansas State world, right? As opposed to, you know, now all of a sudden, the offense has gotten really spread, a lot of throws, a lot of throwing outside. Um, I guess, did you expect, I mean, we knew that Gavin Hardison was more of a thrower than a runner, obviously, but did you expect that it would move so quickly from being a completely run-based offense to one that spreads the ball around so much? Yeah, that's a great question. I did not. This this blindsided me because if you told me at the start of the offseason that this would be uh, a passing team or their strength would be passing, I would have said you're crazy because you look at the running back depth chart. You had uh, at the start of the season, Quadres Wadley, who came back from an injury. You have Deion Hankins, El Paso's all-time leading rusher. You have Josh Fields, who's been in this program for a while and even out of high school was highly regarded as a, as a top prospect out of El Paso. So you even have some of the younger running backs like Willie Eldridge, who was a three-star prospect out of Texas, and uh, they got him over the offseason and, and seeing his praises. So I thought this team would be very run-oriented, but uh, quite on the contrary, I want this team now to sling the ball a lot more than they are already doing. I remember in this past week, um, Gavin Hardison had this amazing deep pass to Jacob Cowing, and it just it made me wonder 
why don't they let him loose? Just let Gavin Hardison loose at times. He's, he's top five in the country right now in passing yards, has 548 yards through the air and a touchdown as well. Uh, he's got two stud receivers in Justin Garrett and Jacob Cowan. Why not throw the ball a lot more? Why not use your running backs in a passing scheme? And why not go with that air raid type of offense? I think when they kind of sometimes rely on that predictable type run, it actually hurts them, especially in the red zone. I, I want to see this team throw the ball more and be more aggressive. Hey. If Gavin Hardison throws some interceptions, makes some mistakes, doesn't complete uh, all his passes, so be it. Let him make those mistakes. But give him the opportunity to air the ball out and, and throw the ball because he could do it. He's got an arm. Yeah, and, you know, so, so I know that you obviously talk to Dana Dimmel and Mike Canales all the time about how they're building their offense. And I'm curious, you know, in your conversations with them, I mean, last two years, again, it looked very Kansas state right? It looked very, very, you know, single wing, we're going to run it up the gut sort of thing with our quarterback. Do you get the sense from them that that was more of a personnel decision uh, with Kai Loxley and as opposed to maybe what they wanted to do? And, and the other thing too is, I guess, do you think that this is their vision or do you think it's, again, a, a personnel thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was a personnel thing with with Kai Loxley um, in terms of running the ball, doing a lot of different RPOs and really being a run first team. And I think they thought that going into this year, it would probably be the same thing because you're dealing with an inexperienced quarterback. He hasn't started many games. He hasn't been in the limelight either or, or faced any sort of adversity. But the way that Gavin Hardison has sh shown that he can kind of overcome that adversity and Stephen F. Austin trailing, uh, leading a good comeback, Christian uh, struggling at points trailing and then leading a nice charge comeback uh, those are good indicators right there that you got a quarterback and I think that as they see him grow throughout the rest of the season they'll probably let him loose a little bit more and gosh I love how he throws on the run I love how he can scramble outside of the pocket and make things happen through the air um, and and also just his uh, his his uh, deep ball he's able to his arm strength is pretty unmatched when it comes to other college quarterbacks I've I really enjoyed watching him uh, as far as seeing him throw the deep ball. But yeah, I think when you're looking at this offense in general and when you see what Mike Canales and, and Dana Dimmel are trying to do, I, I think they're trying now to kind of maybe do a little bit more of a balanced attack while sprinkling a little bit more aggressive passing schemes and, and maybe have, and, and with this, you'd probably want to target Jacob Cowing a lot more. You'd want to target Justin Garrett a lot more and then get a third receiver involved. Once you get that third Third receiver, whether it be Devon Cooper, whether it be Walter Don Jr., or whether it be maybe a running back who just steps up um, out of the backfield as a pass catching back, that's when you really know that this team is leaning toward that air raid style. Yeah, well, I think that uh, without question, Jacob Gowing has been one of the the state's biggest stories to start the year so far. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how to ask this question any other way than. How did he end up at UTEP? How did he kind of get missed? How did he kind of end up there? Great question. I actually talked to Jacob two weeks ago and asked him the same question. So I was like, you're a track and field, uh, you're a track and field guy. You're a guy who has great experience at the high school level. What happened? So he comes from a smaller town called Maricopa out of Arizona. And when he was in high school, his team was okay. They were always middle of the pack. And he was a 5'10 receiver. And the only look that he ever got that was serious outside of uh, a group of five school was Texas. They kind of saw a little interest in him at, at points. 
but not really serious. UTEP was really his only offer. And they came to him and they were like, wow, how are you not being recruited? And I think Jacob always keeps that to his heart. He always sees UTEP as, hey, they took a chance on me when no one else did. They saw me and they banked on me and they, they trusted me as a true freshman to play on the field when no one else was out there doing that. And that's why he's out there trying to be the best person he can. And gosh, what a great guy he is. He, he tells me that back home at Maricopa that pretty much the town closes every time uh, UTEP plays and everybody rallies around just watching Jacob Cowing play he's I believe he's got family back there he also might have a kid back home as well and so he just does he he has such a he's so community oriented and now he's really called El Paso his second home he loves it here well in the first uh, two games against uh, against not Texas obviously I mean I think we can just throw throw that one out but um, in those first two games uh, of the season so far it seems like they've needed some time to settle down. It seems like the defense has gotten punched in the face. The offense has kind of struggled to get going, especially on defense. Why do you think that that is? And, and how do you think that they're kind of working to address that? Yeah, I, I've seen the same thing too. I, I see a lot of different things. The turnovers, uh, the fact that they forced four turnovers in the first three games is actually a big step forward because last year they could not turn the ball. They could not get any forced turnovers on defense. But when you look at their pass rush, it's almost non-existent. And it's frustrating because it happened last year. They were in the bottom five of FBS in terms of total sacks. I believe they only had 12 last year in total, which is just crazy. I mean, you think about a defense and just getting 12 sacks on a whole season, you're averaging one a game. And this year, it's kind of looking the same way. I mean, you had a sack in the first game really late in garbage time. This past week, you had a little bit more pass rush with Prey Zamahuli, but they've they've uh, just haven't been able to get after the quarterback. And they had an even bigger setback last week when they lost their senior defensive end in Josh Ortega. Hopefully he could come back in the next couple of weeks. Dana Dimble thinks that maybe he can come back as soon as Saturday. They also lost Jason Van Hook, one of their starting linebackers. So that's a big loss right there. And Shahan, another big thing, this secondary is not as good as we thought it would be over the summer. We thought that, hey, maybe they get back some of the guys that who've been uh, hurt in the past couple of years, and maybe they coop them up with some of the newcomers, but it just has not proved to be good. They've missed tackles. They're just not, not in, uh, experienced in terms of pass coverage, and they've uh, let a lot of big plays go. This secondary really needs improvement, and we need to see more pass rushing from this UTEP defense. I'm curious, you know, Dana Dimmel, you know, like we've talked about before, you know, he is so built around sort of the, you know, the strong defense mixed with the ball control offense. This is in so many ways, the opposite of that, right? And so I'm curious, how is he sort of rolling with the punches? And, and do you still feel like, where is Dana Dimmel's sort of identity in this team? I think, well, first offensively, he's he's still he still wants that time of possession. He wants that ball control. UTEP right now is 13th in the country when it comes to time of possession, and he wants to win that battle every single game. He wants to control the clock, and it's tough when you have a inexperienced quarterback. I remember this past week uh, when UTEP was trying to run out the clock and and just trying to you know uh, ice the t ice uh, Abilene Christian from ever coming back in this one or giving them the ball toward the end of the game. Gavin Hardison would snap the ball with 
eight seconds left on the clock, you know, 10 seconds left on the clock. And, and you would kind of wonder, oh, what's, what's going on there? And it's inexperience on the offensive side. So maybe Dana Dimmel's role is to try to coach that a little bit better and make sure that clock management time of possession is, is kind of, uh, you know, improved by the end of the season. Defensively, I don't know, Sean. It's kind of disorganized. I think that he sees what he wants. He's just not getting there. He's trying to patch it up with some JUCO players who transferred in and who are starting right away, which are great. Actually, I really like the additions they have. But I think it's about execution. Just simple things like missed tackles, uh, assignment errors, loan coverages. That's what's really hurting this team. So when you're trying to teach an inexperienced group how to stop making those uh, mistakes, uh, I, I guess that's where Dana Dimble comes in trying to develop a better defense moving forward. Yeah, so obviously I don't think it's a secret that UTEP over the last four years or so has been one of the worst teams in the country, right? But one thing that, uh, that's always impressive to me, and, and I'm curious if you can speak to this, is how does UTEP and, and the city of El Paso, how do they stay so engaged with the team, even though it has been obviously so dire over the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it all goes back to maybe 15 years ago with the days of Mike Price and all the excitement that he brought to this UTEP football program. I think that's the first time you saw this community really shift because what happened in the 80s and what happened, uh, you know, at some points in the early 90s with UTEP men's basketball the fan base was rabid and it was a basketball town, especially college basketball, Don Haskins, you had Tim Hardaway, you had some of the greats playing here for basketball. And when Mike Price came here in the mid 2000s, you really saw a little bit of a shift where people started realizing, you know, hey, this is a really fun thing to get, do. Go to the, the Sun Bowl, watch this UTEP Miners team, watch Jordan Palmer, watch Johnny Lee Higgins, watch some of the greats like Donald Buckram, Trevor Vitito. UTEP has produced some great talents when it comes to football, and they've excited El Pasoans in the past. So everybody leans on those years. Everybody wonders, when is UTEP going to get back to just playing exciting football? Because, hey, sometimes those Mike Price teams would finish off the season five and seven, but they would have a rabid fan base who was so engaged and just loved going to each game because of how entertaining and exciting those games were so now that you're starting to see uh the sean coogler era pass and you see the dana dimmel era continue the the fan base is a little frustrated in terms of just competing and, and just being in games i mean getting blown out in games is just frustrating fans at a big way and i think that the fan base is still engaged because you know frankly el paso doesn't have much when it comes to sports they have the chihuahuas they have the locomotive fc uh usl soccer and they love watching those teams but in terms of football this city loves it they love high school football they go out each friday night and watch all their local high school football teams play. They'll go to the Sun Bowl on Saturday and, and try to fill up the Sun Bowl as best as they can for UTEP. It's been a dismissive topic as of late. I, I, I can't sugarcoat that. I think that the fan base is definitely older. When you look at the median age, you're, you're looking at an older fan base, and they're trying to engage the younger fan base and grow that as well. Yeah, and actually, I'll, I'll ask one more question and then, and then get to my last question. Uh, with that... I mean, when you have Aaron Jones doing what he's doing, I mean, how much does that help engage some of the younger fans? 
Yeah, that's a great question because Aaron Jones does everything. I mean, from just being here in El Paso, training over the offseason, just coming home all the time and throwing that 915 every time he scores a touchdown, that does so much for this city. And I even go back to the tragic shooting of August 3rd and just what kind of an impact Aaron Jones made after that on the field, doing the 915 strong uh, hand signal. And that, that meant so much to this community because it felt like somebody on a national scale was fighting for them while they were back home fighting their own battles or, or doing whatever they could here in El Paso and I don't think UTEP's ever had that and I don't think it, the city of El Paso has ever had that and that's so important for this young fan base and it's so important for some of these young high school athletes to see, hey, that guy went to Burgess High School. Burgess High School is just a few miles away from me. He was in a high, highly regarded prospect, and look at him now. He's arguably a top five running back in the NFL, top 10, no doubt, and he's, he's uh, doing great things on Sunday for the Green Bay Packers. It's, it's inspirational to some of these athletes, even if they don't pursue a professional football career. Just lets them know that if they put the, put the time in and you know they work on what they love to do, they can accomplish pretty much anything Aaron Jones is that living example of that and he always comes back to the community and gives so much to it and even just spends time with some of these young members I think Aaron Jones is probably the most uh, beneficial influencer in terms of younger people uh, looking at UTEP or just looking at El Paso sports in general okay last question so this upcoming week uh, obviously UTEP plays against Louisiana Monroe Um, you know Louisiana Monroe has not looked very good so far if UTEP were able to have a good performance, they were able to potentially go and win this game, what would that mean? Um, and, and how would it change what you think of this team heading forward? Yeah, actually, it would make me think a lot more positive about this team because I don't think you can really judge too much on the first three games. I think you could pick certain things and you can evaluate certain parts of it and you can say, okay, well, they did this or they didn't do this on these first three games. But I think this is the game right here because Louisiana Monroe is on the road. That's a thing that they have not been successful. And in fact, they're on an eight game losing streak when it comes to road games. So they need to snap that right there. And then when it comes to Louisiana Monroe, you're you're finally playing playing a team in the FBS ranks. So you could test that and see how you fare against another group of five opponents. I think the game against Louisiana Monroe will tell a lot about how this team will perform in Conference USA because, yeah, I'm not going to say that everybody in Conference USA is on the level of Louisiana Monroe because that's not accurate at all. I think Louisiana Monroe is probably a subpar group of five team, probably on the lower end, but it would show that they could win games on the road and the they could be competitive against other group of five schools and maybe they can be competitive in conference USA. I predicted this team to go two and 10 to start uh, to uh, finish the season, just winning those two FCS opponents. So beating Louisiana Monroe would just totally be a, a big surprise in a big way for this team and program moving forward. Awesome. Well, you said uh, Aaron Jones is the number one driver of young people to El Paso football. Number two, Adrian Broadus. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again real soon. I appreciate it as always, Shahan. We'll talk soon. Thanks again to Adrian Broadus for joining the program. Always fun to have him on and always fun to have a, a good excuse to talk about UTEP football. Definitely, definitely. And especially because we might not get many more chances this year. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we had, to, we had to make sure and sneak one in. You know my UTEP agenda. I've always, uh, always got to try and sneak them in. 100%. But, but we do have, for the first time this season, we do have a full slate of Power 5 games. Now, knock on every piece of wood you can find, because 
we've obviously already lost a Baylor game. We've already lost a, a TCU game. You know, uh, hopefully <laughs> we finally get to see these teams play. We're, we still won't get a Houston game, by the way, uh, even though yeah. all this is happening. Uh, but we do have more of a full schedule, so let's go ahead and get right into it. So first game of the weekend, TCU versus Iowa State, 12.30 p.m. on FS1. TCU, I believe, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Is that, oh, is, that, is that the first game of the weekend, or is the or is UTSA? Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Let us <coughs> let me let me do that again. Yeah, no, you're right, you're yeah. right. <laughs> Time, you know. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's start with the first game of the weekend. Uh, this team has already played, but we're happy to see them again. The UTSA Roadrunners facing off against Middle Tennessee, 7 p.m. on Friday night. UTSA is a six and a half point favorite, and uh, look, this was one of those games that that we're talking about that just came right out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not even totally sure if it's going to count as a conference game or if it's a non-conference game because of the way it was scheduled. So, who knows? Who has any idea? But uh, we will get to see UTSA <laughs> and Middle Tennessee play this weekend. So, Ish, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, Middle Tennessee sucks. Uh, <laughs> they're really not good. This is a really good chance for UTSA to kind of just keep that momentum going. Um, I think I told you just before the show that uh, Rick Stockstill was doing an interview. Um, and he, I forgot if it was like a, just his media availability or something, but he basically said uh, teams know that they can play half a man or more in the box, outnumber us a little bit. It's not a very pretty sight watching our offensive football team. So when you are a team like UTSA who... Can at least in the first half of two games has been known to be able to sit on some offenses. Um, you're welcoming that acknowledgement that your that Middle Tennessee's offense is not very good. Yeah, uh, Middle Tennessee is one of the worst FBS programs in America. They have mm-hmm. a real case right now for the very bottom. Um, and UTSA through two games is absolutely not one of the bottom teams <laughs> in America so far. Um, you know, and, and I think that this is going to be a good opportunity for them to try out some more of their stuff, like they were doing against, uh, like they were doing against Texas State. It's going to mm-hmm. be an interesting opportunity to see if they kind of still have that juice that they had uh, in a non-rivalry game. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see whether they're going to keep trying to air it out with Frank Harris. I think it definitely added a different dimension, but, uh, you know, and we talked about this a little on the Sunday program. I just want to see four quarters. I want to see them go out there and win for four quarters. I want it to be a three touchdown win. Um, I don't have, I I don't think that there's a line on this game because, uh, oh wait, no, there was minus six and a half. So Mm -hmm. I think that they definitely should cover that. I think they absolutely need to cover that. And uh, I expect to, to go into Saturday very impressed with the 3-0 UTSA Roadrunners. 100%. I think that, I don't know, I see no reason to be optimistic about uh, uh, Middle Tennessee State. They lo- they've lost 42 nothing and 47-14 to Army and Troy. And as much, as much as we love Army, they are not a vaunted defense that should be shutting out people while scoring 42 points on their own, right? Um and so, yeah, it's it's hard for me to acknowledge um, or find a bright spot for Middle Tennessee. Definitely, definitely. So I think that we're in agreement. Uh, Jeff Trailer stays undefeated, 3-0 and as a head coach. Let's move to Saturday. Well, for, for what it's uh, worth, I think they are counting this as a conference game. Looking at UTSA's schedule, it does list like the little okay. CUSA highlight next to it. So... Um, we can talk a little bit about how they're gonna how uh, they're trying to alter bowl eligibility as well. So you know, especially with all the confusing scheduling going on, um, it, it looks right now that that is counting as a conference game. 
Okay, okay, good to know. And yeah, just just briefly, it sounds like uh, the Bull administration is basically trying to eliminate the balancer bowl eligibility because mm-hmm. this is such a weird year. Some teams are going to only have a couple of games as opposed to you know as many as they would normally have. So basically, they're, they're trying to get rid of those requirements so that they can just invite kind of whoever they want. Now, right. obviously, we would expect that there would still be teams that would finish at least close to 500 in the amount of games that they played, but mm-hmm. it would just potentially take away some of the requirements to play 10 or 12 or whatever games. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe UTSA will be there at the end of the year. So uh, moving on, moving on to Saturday. TCU versus Iowa State, 12.30 p.m. on FS1. TCU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, um... I don't know <laughs> because uh, mainly because. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh. ISU, I, Iowa State is a two and a half point. Okay, okay, me. good. Uh, that was a good. That's okay. That's a lot better. Um, still, I don't know because Iowa State. I'm a, I'm a little worried. <laughs> um, yeah, they got yeah. beat pretty bad by a, a good Lafayette team, but 31-14 is not what you should be doing if you're Iowa State, who brought back. Most of the heavy hitters, and you should be, I mean, I was feeling optimistic about them. Um, but then again, TCU is also uh, starting Matt, Matthew Downing. And so... Um, that's fake. That That's just straight up fake. They're... they're- <laughs> is it gonna to is it gonna be him 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 one drive and then uh duggan comes in the rest of the game yeah well uh, who was who was the quarterback who who played like one play when johnny menzel got suspended because whatever <laughs> it is it's it's gonna be that right that's, that's exactly what's gonna happen <laughs> and so um obviously max duggan is coming back from like a health ailment so there is like a real chance that that he's physically not super ready to go but if they're clearing him i'm assuming that he's cleared cleared you know right. that he's ready to go that would be pretty on brand for gary patterson <laughs> <laughs> right actually um you know and, and i was having this conversation with some of my friends uh in, in our group text this is an extremely gary patterson depth chart that they released um <laughs> so obviously you have the uh, you have the or between matthew downing and max duggan on it so sure. again max max uh, duggan's gonna play the majority of the game and matthew downing's probably gonna start the game which right. by the way uh apparently stefan brown no good. Apparently, he's no good. Really? But, um, hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just what you, that's again. If if he's struggling to beat out Downing, you know, that's I, fair, I don't know. That's fair. that's a struggle. Um, at receiver, uh, their big time transfer, JD Spielman. Um, apparently, third string. Sure. Uh, not not sure if I buy that. Um, re- really not sure if I buy that. Uh, behind Dylan Thomas, you know, who cool. I I don't necessarily <laughs> know if I see that. Um. Oh, the the most fun one is running back though. Oh uh, yeah, so they obvious... give like six names and like th- so, two of them have or. <laughs> so so um, that is fun. Uh, obviously, we've talked all off season about what's going on here, right? They've got yeah. Darwin Barlow, they've got Demarque Foster, they've got Zach Evans. Yeah. But obviously, Amari DiMarcato is going to be the starter. How did sure. we not see this coming? <laughs> sure, Gary. <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> so anyway, God. I don't uh, I don't imagine. Actually, they also have. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, I don't know if this is anything, but they also list Pro Wells as a wide receiver and not at all at tight end. So I, I don't know what they, I mean, again, wide receivers and tight ends are kind of interchangeable, but it's sure. interesting that they list both, right. uh, you know, him, that they list both those roles. So I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to know what any of this means. Uh, right. So we'll we'll see. I, I will be at this game. We'll see uh, what players run out onto the field, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so for me, Look, Iowa State was extremely disappointing in in their first week, and they also have a tendency to start the season off really, really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, like, for example, usually their second game's against Iowa, and they will never beat the University of Iowa. It will never happen. They can go 11-1. and They will lose to Iowa. Right. But <laughs> that's just part of this. They can go 12-0, and and somehow it'll, it'll get, like, retroactively get uh, forfeited. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, that's that's the sort of stuff we're working with with, with Iowa State-Iowa. Um, I do think that, that Iowa State has a big advantage that they've already played a game, um, especially since this TCU offense especially is very inexperienced um i think that iowa state is a little bit better but i mean when we talk about teams that i know basically nothing about uh i don't really know what to expect from tcu yeah i i I don't either um and i think that's exactly what gary patterson wants but i don't (laughs) think it's enough for as as disappointing as they looked last week like you said like there's just so much more benefit to knowing what knowing that Iowa State has played a game and knowing that to a certain extent we'd still be projecting even if everything let's say we'd have a normal schedule we'd still be projecting a lot onto TCU to expect them to win this game in a normal year based on what we yeah. what we know about them yeah and you know the thing that Louisiana was able to do and what they've been able to do why they've been so successful the last couple of years is that they've been able to dominate both trenches mm-hmm. and i think that TCU has the talent to do that but we haven't seen it before, mm-hmm. especially, you know, especially on that defensive side of the ball. I mean, that's usually a hallmark for Gary Patterson teams. But, you know, we're we didn't see what we expected from a Sean Mathis. We didn't see what we expected from those defensive tackles. So I think that those defensive tackles will play well. I just need to see a pass rush. If we don't see a pass rush, this is all for nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think we're both taking Iowa State to cover just to start. So uh, moving on. Next up, we've got. Texas Tech versus Texas, 2.30 p.m. on National Fox. Texas is an 18-point favorite in this game. Oh, bud. Jeez. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to... <laughs> That's a good line because yeah, I is. think it's basically it's basically daring you to say Texas as bad as they were uh, uh, last or two weeks ago. Um my gut feeling tells me that Tech's going to barely cover. Um, okay. Because I think that there's just so much weird about this season that I don't think Texas is going to look as crisp as they did in their for, in their uh, game against UTEP because, one, it was UTEP and this is Tech. Um, and then <clears throat> I just don't think Tech's going to play nearly as bad as they did against uh, HBU. I think that that's true. Um, and another thing to note is that while Texas dominates this game in Lubbock, uh, they don't, the last couple of times they've been there, they haven't won convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it tends to be a closer game than most. Like you go back through the last couple of scores, th- uh, 41, 34, 45, 30, uh, 37, uh, there was, uh, in 2014, 34, 13, but then the year before that 31, 22, right? Mm-hmm. So like. This has tended to be a closer than expected game, even when Texas is a lot better than Texas Tech. Right. But here's the issue: is that <laughs> the thing that Texas Tech was bad at uh, two weeks ago was defending the pass. Mm-hmm. That is horrific news against Sam Ellinger. Yeah. Just awful news. Now, especially if the wide think- receivers look to be just as fine like just like that was one of the big mysteries is like hey can they keep it without you know losing a lot of the experience depth like yeah no they looked fine (laughs) yeah no and and they have a lot of speed guys which is how houston baptist just absolutely took it to texas tech in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways um 
you know, and and I do think that Texas Tech will adjust. I think that, you know, I think that they'll play more, you know, high coverage than they did against Houston Baptist because they realize that these receivers can beat them. But yeah. uh, but at the same time, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I think that this is a bad early season matchup for Texas Tech. Uh, I would have preferred for them to have not played one of the, the best passing offenses in the Big 12 in their first conference game. Sure. So I, I don't think it's going to be like a blowout. Like I think that Texas Tech's going to get more going offensively than they did last time. But mm-hmm. I think that I think that Texas does win by three touchdowns. That's fair. Um, I'd say it's closer to four or not four, uh, fourteen, like fourteen yeah, margin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tech to cover, but I don't think they ever really threaten. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, ooh, marquee game of the weekend: UTEP at Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> 2.30 p.m. on, get this, they're on national TV, ESPNU. How about that? Uh, that. UTEP, this, this is a little bit of a surprising line. Not a hugely surprising line. Uh, minus nine and a half. They're, they're nine Ooh, and a half points. What? Dogs. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a little much for me. What? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I love UTEP. Um, they have no reason. No, 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 no. They are, they are underdogs. They are underdogs. Un- that's even worse. <laughs> Like I'm sorry, that's even. Oh, I, I don't know. Um, I think UTEP should be slightly favored because ULM's in, really in a not, road game, huh? I, I think so. Game. ULM's not good, um, no. and I I would have I would have gone with like three and a half. Like yeah. I don't for in favor of UTEP. I don't. Oh God, yeah. I think UTEP's gonna cover. I would not be shocked if they went outright. Um, because yeah, I mean watching ULM. There was no doubt, like their secondary is not good, and, and credit credit Texas Tech or Texas State's wide receivers might be legitimately really good, but there was just a gulf in talent and athleticism. They got no pressure on Tyler Vitt. Um, I would not be surprised if Gavin Hardison has one of his better games. Um, running the t- UTEP should be able to run the ball really fairly well. Texas State really didn't need to run the ball. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do not. I, I don't know. There was no reason for optimism for ULM for me last week. Yeah, the, the thing is, right, is that UTEP so far this season has struggled a little bit to defend the pass, mm-hmm. right? Like, that that's one thing that I think that is probably their biggest weakness right now is defending the pass. And, like, I don't know, like, ULM's not horrible passing the ball. Yeah, but no. It, it's definitely it's definitely going to be an offensive game. Like this isn't going to be a team right. a game of defenses. But like heading into this game, I mean, I don't know. Like I feel like a lot of the best offensive players play for the University of Texas at El Paso. Which I, I is think not so something, too. <laughs> yeah, not something I've said in a long time. Um, you know, so so it's worth noting ULM's first two games. Right, they obviously mm-hmm. lose that game to Texas State, thirty-eight to seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah, their their offense just stalled after a while against mm-hmm. you know Texas State, and Texas State played well, but like it also just stalled, right? Mm-hmm. And and their first game they get beat thirty seven seven against Army, like completely massacred, right? Yeah. And so and like I, I again, our, I we like Army on this program, but yes. they're not the team that's going to be coming out squashing teams. Or was it forty two right. to nothing against Middle Tennessee? Like these are just like okay, th- there is a gulf yeah. of talent between right. Uh, that's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 bad. It's bad. Um, but uh, so I think that UTEP does cover. Don't get me wrong. Going on the road and winning is never easy. Sure. Uh, when you are again you know, consistently one of the bottom five teams in football, mm-hmm. 
But this is also an opportunity for UTEP. I mean, I think that in some ways, I mean, I don't want to call it their biggest game of the year, but yeah. it might be, right? Like, I, I think mm-hmm. that this would be, if they could get this win, I don't think it matters what happens after this, right? Like, I think that you feel okay about where UTEP's at. If they're sure. able to get to three wins, if they're able to beat an FBS opponent on the road, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that gives us a completely new perspective on where UTEP is versus where they were last year. And so... Look, I hope that they're treating this game like that, right? I hope mm-hmm. that they're treating this as a big opportunity. Because for ULM, it's just like, ah, who cares, right? Like, right, right, right. we're basically already done, you know? But but I think that for UTEP, if they're able to go in and beat ULM, and we talked about this uh, on with Adrian, too, a little bit. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, if they were able to go in and, and really pull off a win, I think that that completely changes the way that we look at UTEP as a team. So, 100%. I think, I think this, uh, is a battle of, this is a battle of Colby Suits versus Gavin Hardison, I think. Um, I think UTEP's going to want to keep Colby Suits off the field because I think they do. Yeah. ULM is finding something with him at quarterback. Uh, yes, I believe yes. North Forney, uh, former North Forney quarterback, uh, Colby Suits. Hey. So um, they're finding something with him. He's stepping in really nicely. He's putting up good numbers. And, yeah, UTEP's going to want to – Gavin Hardison can't make mistakes, and UTEP's going to want to definitely take advantage of the uh, their run game to keep him off the field as much as possible. Yeah. Gavin Hardison, if you're listening to this program, do the thing where you complete 14 of 18 passes first. Right. Don't wait to go one of seven first. So right. that's, that, that's my advice. Anyway, <laughs> next up, we got Texas State at Boston College, 5 p.m. on ESPN3. Uh, what is the line of this game? I forgot to write that one down. Vamping <laughs> for a second. Uh, it uh, is let's... Boston College by eighteen. Yeah, that's that's about right. Did you see Boston College? <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> oh my gosh, against Duke, Jesus Christ, twenty six to six. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> Phil Jerkovic has like he was so good, and he had like. Uh, Full disclosure, like I was raised a Notre Dame fan, so like I had tabs on <laughs> Phil Jerkovic, and you know, he, of course, I did not know that. Yeah, I was I was raised Catholic, so like obviously Catholic household, Notre Dame, um, and so I had tabs on Phil Jerkovic after he transferred, and oh my goodness, <laughs> he had me so terrified <laughs> for Texas State because he basically just had the most efficient three hundred yard game I'd seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Another guy to mention, Zay Flowers, five receptions, 162 yards and a touchdown. So, um, look, I think that both of us like Texas State a whole lot. We think that they are much improved, but oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is it it was it's a this is a great uh, this is a great non-conference game for them. Right. Like, I really do (laughs) think this was a uh, this is a good matchup when I saw it finally scheduled. I think it's a good exposure, good exposure uh, for them. But. Man, that was the worst possible um, uh, week one performance from Boston College because traditionally you've always seen Boston College as a team that just struggles to move the ball and then, and then all of a sudden they just come out and they just light Duke on fire. And it's like, oh, no, there goes that. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that I have to note, uh, I, look, I'm, I'm picking Boston College to cover. I don't, I don't I, think yeah. it's – Yeah, yeah. Un- unfortunately, right? Again, we're big fans. But right. um, look, I think that if you're a Colorado State fan right now – and you just signed Steve Adazio. Oh, you're not feeling so good right now. No. Oh my gosh. It was like, wow. Was it really just all him that that, that was missed? That was that was ruining everything. Oh dear. Oh heavens. 
Right. Well, anyway, we, we can go ahead and move on from that game. Like, I, I am curious to see, obviously, whether uh, Brady McBride does get back into the starting lineup. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that situation. Sure. Um, oh, also worth I, noting, uh, Jim L. Jeter, uh, running back for Texas State, was reportedly uh, cleared by NCAA waivers, so that is potentially a third running back. Um, we'll see if he gets on the field. I know he's been practicing, so yeah. uh, we'll see if he if he's adds to that backfield and we'll... Uh, you know, and, and adds another dimension to an already talented stable. Definitely. And, you know, one thing to note, I mean, because I, I, I don't think that we mentioned him. So the new head coach at Boston College is Jeff Halfley, who mm, was yes. the defensive coordinator at Ohio State last year when they had their terrifying defense, right? So right. this is going to be a defensive coordinator who's going to be able to to scheme it up. One of, the, one of his hallmarks is that... When his team is more talented than you, he does not overthink it, right? right? That's that's one of his big things. That's something that Greg Schiano really struggled to do at Ohio State, where they're more talented than everybody. I'm so, curious. who's their? Uh, I'm trying to find their offensive coordinator because they open. I mean, obviously, he has uh, coaching at Ohio State. Some of Ryan Day rubs off, regardless of if he's offense or defense. Uh, Frank Signetti. Signetti. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wonder where he's from. I don't know a lot about his background. I don't know um, Interesting. Yeah, but um, hmm. but yeah, so I think that they obviously looked really good in week one. No shame in, in Texas State, just not being quite as good as Boston College at this sure. point. Sure, so, nothing wrong with that. Yes. Oh, Green Moving Bay, Green Bay pa- uh, quarterbacks coach for the Giants and the Packers. That, was his... that seems good. Sure, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that seems good. Uh, anyway, so so moving on, we don't need to touch on this game too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, SMU versus Stephen F. Austin, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Uh yeah, I don't. I don't know. SFA's gonna win. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Um, yeah, SFA is gonna play really hard, and that's about all I can say. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, Colby Carthel is gonna say something really Texan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing, um, you know, again, I truly do not want to jinx this in any way. Um, let's just keep an eye out on on the newswire because SMU did play North Texas last week. Mm, so mm-hmm. ho- hopefully, hopefully that's nothing right. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully that the positive tests were not related to that, but um, just something to keep an eye on. Sure. Uh, m- moving on. Uh, number six, uh, Baylor versus Kansas, 6 30 PM on ESPNU. Baylor is a 17 point favorite. Now Baylor's playing in their first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, which in this case is a huge negative for the Kansas Jayhawks because oh my god, oh boy. Um, I was gonna say, do you want to treat this like uh, the SMU SFA game? Where's like what, what else? How much do you want to spend talking about? It? I, 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 I I can talk about Baylor for a second. <laughs> sure, 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 um, sure. So uh, Kansas, if you didn't know, lost thirty-eight to twenty-three to Coastal Carolina. By the way, uh, Puka Williams, you know the the fantastic running back at Kansas before. The, the first game against Coastal Carolina said, we were excited that we got to schedule Coastal Carolina because we lost them last year, and this is a revenge spot for us. Um, yikes. Jeez. Yikes. By the way, uh, do you know how many... Um, uh, so they, uh, Coastal played Campbell last week. Yeah. Uh, Campbell, yes, has a football team. Um, the only reason I know Campbell exists because they are the Camels, and the Campbell, Camels, is just really good uh, alliteration. Well, uh, well, you want to add more alliteration, yeah. Campbell, Camels, home of Chris Clements. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but you want to know how they, they did score? They did happen to hold them to less points than they did Kansas, right? Kansas did score more. Do you know how many less points than Kansas? Campbell no. scored two. Uh, they, Kansas scored 23 Campbell uh, 
Score 21. So, yeah. I, I think that Kansas might be bad. I, I've been seeing some hot takes on the timeline that actually Texas Tech is going to be worse than Kansas this year. Um, uh... What? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just don't. What? Listen, we, we can come around to that at the end of the year. Hey, I have um, an idea. Let's just roll, let's roll Kansas out against HBU and see how they do. <laughs> bad. They do bad. I just want to be clear about that. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the thing I want to see from this game legitimately, because, you know, we, we didn't need to talk about us. I mean, we've already seen them. The yep. thing I want to see from Baylor, I want to see Charlie Bird throw the ball downfield. Oh, and I want to see, him, I want to see him wreck this Kansas secondary. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know Kansas uh, against Coastal Carolina's uh, starter. Let me let me look up his name real quick. His name is Grayson McCall. Uh, Grayson McCall went eleven for eighteen for one hundred thirty-three yards and three touchdowns. Right? Ooh, yeah. I am one hundred percent certain. Double that, that yards. Double those yards. <laughs> well, he better double one hundred thirty-three yards. But I am one hundred percent certain that Charlie Brewer is a better quarterback than Grayson McCall. <laughs> so. Uh, I want to see Charlie Brewer kind of treat this as a potential breakout moment. Look, they they lost, I think, you know, not just a big opportunity, but I think that it really hurts to lose a tune-up game, right? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't get to play Houston. Um, you know, they didn't get to play any other non-conference opponent, Louisiana Tech, anybody, right? And so I think that it's a blessing for them that they get Kansas first, obviously, because... You know, I mean, look, I, I think that Kansas is the one team that you go in and you're not too worried about losing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you gotta, you gotta show that to me, right? You gotta show that to me here. Um, and and I'm just, I just want to see that offense cook. Now, defensively, I think they're gonna have some issues. Look, it's their first game in a new defense. Who even knows, like, who's gonna be available? I mean, they've had issues with contact tracing. Who knows if that becomes an issue? Mm-hmm. But I just want to see Charlie Brewer cook. <laughs> That's really all that this game means. I want right. to see Larry Fedora and Charlie Brewer. I want to I want to have the same feeling that Sam Ellinger gave me when they played UTEP. You know, it was like, yep. okay, this is a four-year starter. This is a guy who's finally in a system that really adheres to his, or theoretically should adhere to his strengths. And I want to come away thinking, wow, Baylor looks scary, just like Texas did against UTEP. Definitely. So, moving on, Texas A&M versus Vanderbilt, 6.30 p.m. on SEC Network. Texas A&M. Can you guess the line, actually? Mm. It's a home game for Texas A&M. Okay. I'm going to say minus nine and a half. Minus 31. What? <laughs> Vanderbilt's right? not awful. <laughs> they're not that bad. They're like, not that bad. They're, they're the worst team in the SEC by mm, no Arkansas. They're the second worst team in the <laughs> SEC. But like 31 that much? 31. What line are you? <laughs> so that's just like that's mind blowing to me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the line on ESPN. They're there not dre- they're not dreadful. They're fine. Like I don't know. They're, like, they're fine. I, oh God, that is weird, man. That is disrespect. <laughs> I I think that uh you can tell from our our speech patterns uh where we're picking for this game. Right. <laughs> Thirty one. I mean, trust me, A and M should win, and they probably yeah. will win by multiple scores. Thirty. Yes is absurd i just don't get it i i don't get it um like again texas a&m is gonna win and it's not gonna be close right like i'm not trying to sit here and say it's gonna be close it, it, i think it probably will be more than 20 points sure but you're talking about five touchdowns you're talking about a&m versus lamar like yeah. no, you know no disrespect to lamar but an fcs you're talking about an fcs margin 
That right. is insane. Yeah, FCS versus even like not even necessarily group of five, right? Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's just I don't know. I don't get it. In fact, let me let me go back to last year. I mean, how many games did Texas A&M win by thirty one points? Like, <laughs> good point. They uh, South Carolina was twenty four. UTSA last year they beat by exactly thirty one. Um, <sighs> they beat Lamar by fifty nine. And they beat Texas State by 34. That is like, easy money. Like, that is. <laughs> they beat Texas State by 34 last year with last year's team mm-hmm. and last year's Texas State team. And they think that Vanderbilt's about that. I, 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 just... I, I get that Vanderbilt's offense is probably, like, really bad, really, really bad. But their defense is top half of the country. Like, in, in terms yeah. of half, I mean, like, literally, like, top 50, not, like, top 25 or anything. But they are right. top half of the of the country. That's what vanderbilt does is they they make sure you don't win by 30 <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know man this i i was blown away when i saw this line like vanderbilt's legitimately bad like i'm not trying to sit here and say that vanderbilt's not bad sure. but like i don't know man i what are we doing here i'm trying to i'm gonna i'm gonna try to look back you can talk about your you can give your thoughts just kind of on what you expect to see from a&m here i'm gonna look back and see how many games vanderbilt has lost by three yeah so you know the thing i'll say about this game is that i think texas a&m is going to be very motivated going into this game the schedule got a lot harder uh when they moved to the 10 game sec schedule Mm -hmm. week two they go to alabama like i think this is going to be a big opportunity it's kind of like what we were talking about with Baylor it's going to be a big opportunity for Texas A&M to kind of find themselves right mm-hmm. and one thing that I really not just want to see but that we desperately need to see is we need to see which receivers are going to step up here mm-hmm. uh, Texas A&M re- uh, released their depth chart yesterday they had 10 receivers with all the ors listed as potential starters um, seven of them were freshmen right and mm-hmm. only one of them was even a junior so like this is a very young rotation, an extremely, extremely talented rotation, but a very young rotation. And, you know, that's one of the things, right, is that I think that, like, Javon Osborne wasn't an especially special player, but he was a reliable target. And I want to see some of those guys develop in this game. I think that Demond Demas is a guy who will be playing consistently by the middle of the season. I think that Dylan Preston's a guy who who everybody's really high on. I think that Moose Muhammad's a guy that everybody's really high on. Like, there's a lot of options here. But I need to see who are the guys who are going to step up and be those number one, number two, number three receivers because basically nobody on the roster who's a wide receiver has any real playing time. Sure, 100%. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, looking back, so the only teams that have beaten... Vanderbilt by 30 under Derek Mason are Dak Prescott's Mississippi State, Tom Herman, yeah, Tom Herman's Houston. Uh, two years ago, let me see, I think it was three, or I guess three years ago when Bama and Georgia met in the title game, those, those two teams. Uh, and last year, once against Florida. And that, though, that's basically it. Like, you have to be like historically good. <laughs> to be like, to, yeah. and I'm not again. This is they're gonna AM should be favored. They should be favored by multiple scores. But again, the line is ridiculous. And granted, maybe that's some. Maybe that's you know uh, the the Vegas hedging its bets on this still being a big year for AM and therefore them being comparable to those teams that you expect. You know those kind of statement wins. But I just don't think. From what we've seen this offseason, the news and all that, I just don't think that's realistic right now. Yeah, and I do think that there's 
a chance, right, that they could sure. be as special as we think that they are. But, like, I just don't get the idea that Vegas thinks that they're going to be this special in week one. Sure. You know, yeah, I mean, 100%. especially especially in a year like this where, you know, you do have so much uncertainty. I mean, I'm curious, too. Uh, you know, obviously, there's been a lot going on at AM off the field this mm-hmm. offseason. I'm curious to see. I, I mean... I'm not going to say that it's like any distraction or anything, but I think it will be present in some way. Um, You know, one thing too, that's worth noting is Texas A&M's home versus road splits. I mean, they are just an astonishingly better home team. Mm -hmm. How does it play in that you basically don't have a a real crowd? You know, I mean, I, I like, I think that, I think that anybody who's been around the state and has been to a lot of these stadiums can say that Kyle field is the best home field advantage in Texas, arguably. Mm -hmm. And, and, so you take that away, like again, it's not going to change them. They're not going to lose the game or anything like that. But it's different. It, it just is different. And so I'm curious to see if any of these things sort of uh, become a factor. Again, it's not going to become a factor that's going to cause this game to become close. This is going to be a three-score game for sure. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, it's just, whew, man, 31 <laughs> points, man. Well, there's uh, two other games this weekend um, where, you know, maybe we can give a quick pick. Uh, we got Louisiana Tech versus Houston Baptist. Does Houston Baptist uh, find a way to to pick up that one lone FBS win? Uh, nah. Yeah, I, I, like, I like HBU, tough. but they're going to come away with this fall. Feeling good, but, you know, winless. Yeah, and I will note, um, Houston Baptist did add a game against Eastern Kentucky, so oh, okay. hopefully so they will not have, winless. Uh, yes, yes, hopefully they will have at least one chance to, to pick up a real win. Uh, the other game, um, Angelo State versus West Texas A&M. <laughs> the first Lone Star Conference uh, game of the season. <laughs> I have, uh, that's, a, that's something I will uh, delegate to our guy, Corey Hogue. All right. Give me Angelo State. No real reason. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so much to everybody for joining us. Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend of football. It's going it's, to – look, I, I will say the one thing that, that I am going to miss about these first couple of weeks is that, like, I've been able to watch everything live, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, it's gonna be. It's definitely gonna be a little different now with like all these games going on at the same time and having to keep track of all of it. But this is uh, this. It's that time of year again. Um, thanks so much to everybody for joining us. If you're not already, become a subscriber at textfootball.com/slash/subscribe. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Text Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us, and we'll be back with you guys again on Sunday.